Well, it has been a crazy year, hasn't it? And most of this year, and actually uh, for a while now, I've been trying to stay offline as much as possible. I feel much better, actually. You should try it. Um, But there are some good things online, and some of them have been some memes for 2020 that have been going around. So I pulled up a few of them. So this first one is for all of you who are like me, a fan of The Princess Bride. 2020 keeps telling us, good night, good work, sleep well, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. If you saw that movie, you'd think that's funny. Okay, uh, the next one is for anybody who ever had a mom who said, I'm going to slap you into next year. Um, going to ask my mom if that offer to slap me into next year is still on the table. <laughs> I can tell by how some people are laughing, their mama actually said that to them. Okay, uh, and then finally for those ladies who are in the women's Bible study, you'll appreciate this one. Whoever's supposed to go to Nineveh, just go already! So... We need a little humor these days because we're facing some perilous times with the pandemic and the social unrest, racial injustice, and then the fun of the upcoming election. And in the middle of that, the enemy of our souls is is real, and he's trying to divide the body of Christ along political lines, along racial lines. He's trying to sow strife, and it's easy to get weighted down. And the question then that I have for us today is, how are we going to make it through these days? Like, we've had a rough year already. I think there's some things that are going to be pretty tough that lie ahead of us. How do we find our way through? See, in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through the prophets uh, to the people of God who were in incredibly perilous times. I mean, I mean, you talk about perilous times, and that they were going through exile. And in exile, they lost everything they held dear. They lost their homes, their families, their country, everything. And it seemed as if the promises of God weren't going to be fulfilled. And they had this question, how are we going to make the way through? How do, what is our way through all of this? And God came to them while they were in exile, and he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, verse chapter 30, verse 21, and saying this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And you get there a picture of the promise of God to his people that even when we're in exile, even when we're in perilous times, he's right there, right with us, speaking where he whispers in our ear and says, this is the way. And in the New Testament, the the early church believers, they faced a lot of persecution, both inside the church and outside the church. And the apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to a church that was very gifted, a very charismatic church. They had the gifts of the Spirit flowing in this church, but they were also dealing with strife and divisions and pressures within and without. And he writes to them and he says, I'm going to show you the way. Through all of this. In other words, we're going to have the fulfillment of the promise that God made through the prophet back in Isaiah chapter 30. We're going to have that now. And he says, here it is, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And he describes to them the way of love. This is the way. You, you want to know how to get through the rest of 2020? This is the way. It's the way of love. Kind of reminds me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm something of, you know, I grew up, you know, I was born in the early, early 70s, and, and so I grew up with Star Wars. And, and I've been very disappointed with the recent iterations of Star Wars, you know, with one happy exception, 
and that is The Mandalorian. Has anybody seen this series on Disney Plus? The Mandalorian. Okay, a few people. This is the one happy exception to recent Star Wars things. And, and The Mandalorian is just this guy. He's part one of this group of people called The Mandalore. And, and, and they have this thing where they say the leaders, when they have some kind of things between them, the leader will say, this is the way. We're committed to the way. And, and they'll actually, she'll actually say, this is the way. And then everybody says, this is the way. And, and they might not like it. You, you might wish the way was different. You might wish it was easier, but this is the way. And if you're going to be a Mandalorian, you've got to go by the way. And, and being a Christian is kind of like being the Mandalorian. I mean, we don't, you know, shoot people very often. We, we don't have a cool flamethrower coming out of our fist. We don't have the cute baby Yoda. Right? <laughs> but, but here's the point. Just like the Mandalorian, we have a mission. We're in a battle. We don't have body armor, but we have spiritual armor. We have a sword of the Spirit. We are in a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. And here's the deal. Like the Mandalore, there is a way. You might not like that way. You might wish it was an easier way, but this is the way. It's kind of like I once heard Francis Chan say, you know, God created the universe, so he gets to tell us how it works. Now, you may think you have a better way to do life than God, but you don't have a universe. So this is the way. Here's the big idea for the message today. The way through 2020 is the way of love. I'm going to say that again. The way through 2020 is the way of love. If you want to know, how do I make it through this year? Here's the answer. Follow the way of love. And here's what Paul said. There's three movements in this chapter, and we're going to start walking through them today and perhaps finish next week. I mean, like, I have a message today and then one next. We're not going to talk all week. It just occurred to me when I said that. You might think, we're here until next week. Who brought the food? Okay. Here's what he says. Here's Here's the first movement. The importance of the way. Okay, I want you to see this. Paul says, first of all, you got to understand, this isn't one way among many. This is the most excellent way. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, look what Paul's saying. He said, if you've got all the gifts of the Spirit but you don't have love, you don't have anything. You're on the wrong, that's not the way. And and you can stand before people and you can be brilliant, right? You can utter truth. You can have the best Bible study in the world. You can have the best preaching replete with great oratory and moving illustrations that make people laugh and cry and you get great reviews on Yelp. And if it's without love, you are nothing. And you might even give all your possessions to the poor, and you might even stand in the middle of the fire and sacrifice your body to be burned. But if the motive of that is not love, it's nothing. This is what he says. 
I kind of like the way the message kind of summarizes that last verse. I I don't think the message should be your study Bible, but it's fun to read after you've done your already your textual work in your regular study Bible. Here's what the message says. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Now, just so we don't misunderstand, Paul is not saying all you need is love. In the words of those great theologians from yesteryear across the pond, the Beatles, who said, and I quote, all you need is love. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All you need is love. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All you need is love. Pause. Love. It's all you need. And of course, my reaction to that song is, hello, you need some food? You need, you need, a, you need air? You need a job. But Paul isn't saying all you need is love. He's saying no matter what else you have, if you don't have love, it's worthless. He's saying this, hey, Corinthians, Tim Parrish, New Life Church, it is possible to do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And it is possible to do good things, and it's possible to do nothing but good things and at the same time produce nothing good. Because it's not coming from love. It's, I mean, these are good things. I mean, you look at these things in his list, right? It's tongues, prophecy, faith, and giving. And I don't have time to go through this, but these were the gifts that the Corinthians were most proud of. I mean, if you go read First and Second Corinthians, all four of those gifts come up over and over again in his instruction to them. And they're all, all four of those things, tongues, prophecy, faith, giving, they're exciting, dynamic works of the Spirit in somebody's life. But it is possible to do those good, Spirit-filled things and produce nothing full of the Spirit. Because it's not coming out of a place of love. It's nothing. And it's possible, actually, Paul's saying it's actually worse than nothing. Look at verse 1 again. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Gordon Fee has written kind of the magisterial commentary on 1 Corinthians, and he points out that the Greek word that is used there, that we just translate as kind of generic as a clanging cymbal, is actually the name of an instrument in first century Corinth that was used in the worship of a god named Dionysus. Now Dionysus, you'll remember from your Greek mythology class in high school, was the son of the god Zeus in their myth, and a human woman, and I just forgot her name, Simile or something like that, okay? So they came together and they produced this so-called god Dionysus, and and the worship of Dionysus in, in Corinth was this sort of frantic, ecstatic. They lost control, just went bananas, and they were hitting this instrument, this instrument that they would bang on, and and it was just part of Dionysus worship. And in fact, um, a number of years ago, uh, Marlene and I were in uh, England and we went to the British Museum. If you ever go to London, you must. You must go to the British Museum. It's free. free and, and and in the collection we're in, in like what, what would have been the roman empire first century they had stuff for they have stuff from all over the world they had this sarcophagus which is just like a, a bone box right that had carvings in it and they have this and it's really hard to see there but this is actually a sarcophagus and and what's being carved out there is a is an image of worship to dionysus and they're just going the people are i know it's hard for you to see but they're going crazy they're just like there's this ecstatic sort of worship to dionysus and they're banging this gong this instrument and Paul references that 
when he says, if I speak in tongues, but I don't have love, I am as empty as pagan worship. Do you, do you see how important the way of love is? That no matter what we're doing, you know, we're doing stuff to, to, to care for each other in the pandemic. We're doing stuff to stand up for racial justice. We're doing things to, to, to help each other out in very tough times. And, and there's people who are going through a lot of things. And we've had a number of families in our church recently lose loved ones. And, and we're trying to care for them and, and love on them. And, and, and the whole deal is this. If we're doing all of that stuff and it's just to make us feel good, it's nothing. We don't have love. Love is the way. And, th and then he moves from the importance of the way, and he talks about the description of the way. So, so love is of utmost importance, and we got that. But what does it look like? And so he gives us verses 4 to 8, which is not a definition of love, but a description of love. And here's what he writes. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, it's hard to see kind of in the English translation of this, but when you begin to study this section, one of the things that jumps out at you is that this section is actually made up of 15 verbs. Like, I don't know, do you remember the old DC Talk song, Love is a Verb? Y'all don't remember that? So, raise your hand if you remember this song, Love is a Verb, okay? Okay, 13 of you. Okay, so apparently DC Talk had been reading the Apostle Paul because love, according to Paul, isn't just, it's more than a feeling. It's not just, a, it's, it's an action. And these 15 verbs are in the present continuous tense, meaning the action that love does is ongoing. It's a habitual action, not a one-time event. That's disturbing. I mean, in the description here of the action of love could just as easily be a description of the action of Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, if you reread through that and, 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 and see Jesus in the Gospels, you see this happening. Indeed, the description of the character of love in these verses is a description of the character of God. For God is love and patient and kind. And I suppose it's fitting, only natural. It just makes sense, doesn't it? That if you and I are walking in love, full of love, that you and I would begin to have formed in us the character of God. And wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, just dream with me for a little bit, okay? Dream with me if what was most apparent to people who don't know God and those who call themselves the people of God was the character of God. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. What if, what if, dream with me here, what if what people saw in us was a winsome kind of love? An abiding joy, regardless of circumstances. Uh, what if they saw peace and patience? What? Dream with me. What if we were kind? And what if, what if that was what people who don't know God knew most about us? 
Like the people who didn't know God, what they knew about the people of God and experienced most often from the people of God was, 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 was that we were kind. Wouldn't that be something? Wow, can you imagine? Because nothing has more power on earth. You know this is true. Nothing has more power on earth to reveal the face of God to the people who don't know God than when the people of God demonstrate in tangible, authentic ways the love of God. You know it's true. Marlene and I have an ongoing debate in our home over what is the greatest novel ever written, okay? Uh, she and I debate this, Nathaniel thinks it's a dumb question. Uh, he, he just doesn't even like the question, because how can you know what's the best novel? Okay. But she thinks it's um, uh, Dumas' novel, uh, the, the Count of Monte Cristo. She says, all best novel ever written. I respect that, okay? I love her. I respect that. But actually, the greatest novel ever written is Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. It's one of the greatest stories ever, right? So, so this past week, Nathaniel comes home from school, and he's like, we got to watch the Les Mis. You know, it's on uh, Netflix now, and it's the, the, the musical version that has uh, Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe and uh, Anne Hathaway in it, right? And so we hadn't seen that. I don't know how I hadn't seen it yet, but we hadn't seen it, and we sat down and we watched it. And it's an incredible story that I love because it's a story of redemption, it's a story of grace, it's a story of people being made new and being transformed, and, and there's that whole song, Who Am I? You know, I'm Jean Valjean. I love this story because I am Jean Valjean. And I'm Javert, too. I'm that guy who can be so legalistic, he doesn't understand grace, and when he receives grace, he can't deal with it, and he just kills himself. Well, I mean, I've never killed myself. But I've been Javert. I've been Jean Valjean. And we, we get, we're watching this together, and at the end, and I'm like, you know, when Jean Valjean is dying, and I'm like in tears, you know, I'm crying, you know, I'm trying to hide it so nobody can see, you know, the boys don't see it because they won't let me live it down. And, and it comes to the end where he's passing away, and he and Cosette begin to sing together, and there's this line, remember the truth that once was spoken, to love another person is to see the face of God. And that was actually Victor Hugo's way of communicating 1 John 4, verse 12, that says this, no man has ever seen God. And that makes it hard to know God, right? I mean, and when people out in the world are like, I don't believe in God, I haven't seen it. That, they haven't seen No man has ever seen God. But, John writes, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other, words, in other words, God's love is seen through us when we love each other. Thus, the God whom no one has ever seen is seen in those who love because God lives in them. This is extraordinary. Jesus said it this way, a new command I give you, this is John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to treat people the way I treat you. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the way. This is the way. You want to know how to make it through 2020? This is the way. By the way, the opposite of this is true as well. A few things on earth have more power to distort the face of God than when the people of God fail to demonstrate in tangible ways the love of God. You know that's true. I've heard it said, and I think you probably have too, that the, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. 
the love they show people, the peace they have in pressures, uh, their, their, their care, their joy in persecution. And at the same time, the greatest argument against Christianity is Christians. When we don't live up to that kind of love that we've received. And Ravi Zacharias tells a story about being an Indian. He was talking to a Hindu fellow, and he was kind of trying to share the gospel with him. And, and he was talking about the new birth being born again, and it was a supernatural thing. And this Hindu guy says to him, you know, you keep talking about this new birth, this being born again thing is supernatural. How come it doesn't look like that in the Christians I know? It doesn't look very supernatural. Because you know this is true. Few things on earth have more power to either reveal or distort the face of God than the lack of love or the presence of love. And that is why Paul says, if you do everything else and you have the gifts flowing perfectly, but you don't have love, it's nothing. And look at the description of love here. Every one of these characteristics of love, every one of these actions that love takes is unselfish. In fact, I might say it this way. In order to love, you're going to need to be free from yourself. Because love is others-focused. Love is God-focused. Let's just go through a few of them, okay? We'll just look at a few of them. First of all, he says, love is patient. Okay, right there, I'm tapping out. Oh, almost right away. Because I'm not always very patient, especially when I'm driving. Because other people on the road don't understand how important I am. They, they don't, I got places to be. And they often want to go slow in the fast lane. What does that reveal? It's just, here's the deal. We're not a very patient culture. We want things done our way, and we want it done our way right now. And the word patient here, it means long to anger. Long to anger. One of the fascinating things about anger is that it reveals to us what's really important to us. Every once in a while, somebody would come in and say, oh, i got a real problem with anger. And almost always, the problem is actually not with anger. It's something deeper. See, anger is kind of like, you know that little light on your car that comes on when you're low on gas and it's really irritating and has an irritating ding? You know, you need gas. You're low on gas. And my car, I don't know if your car is this way, my car starts a countdown of how many miles you have until you are stranded. Right? Now, it could be that I could have this ding. I need gas, and I go, man, you know what? Hey, it's so irritating. I'm going to call Joe Haddad, who knows how to fix cars, and I'm going to ask him to take the light out of the dash. Joe, I need, it's irritating. I need you to take this light out of my dash. What would Joe say? He'd probably say, hey, you know, first of all, you might need to see a psychologist. But number two, what you need is not the light on the dash to be fixed. What you need is gas in your gas tank. It's below, and that's how anger is. Anger just reveals there's something deeper. And often what it reveals is that your motive isn't love. So, for example, let's say somebody that you've done a lot of things for, and you, uh, you've served them, you've given things, all of a sudden they don't do something you wanted them to do, and you get angry. Guess what's happening? A motive is being revealed. That's what's happening. And, and when impatience and this is, let me just talk about me. When impatience starts flying out of me, I, and I begin to think of all the things I did this for them and I did this for them, what I begin to discover about myself is the real reason I did all of those things for them wasn't that I was just full of the love of God and it was overflowing. The real reason I did those things for them is so now I could get them to do it for me. It wasn't free, and if it wasn't free, it wasn't love. And if it isn't love, it isn't anything. See, most of the time, when I'm impatient and quick to anger with someone, it reveals what this about, I've been absorbed with myself. 
Because patience is, is long, love is long to anger. Patience gives room for people. This is the way. Again, you might think, I went a different way. This is the way. How about this one? Love is kind. It means good-willed. It means, it means gracious. Kindness is an ability to be so free of myself that I can notice somebody else. Did you ever notice this about yourself? Maybe you didn't. Again, I'll just talk about myself. There's times when I'm so wrapped up in my task and what I'm doing and my concern that I have an inability to see anybody else or even notice anybody else. And then have you ever noticed this about you? You're so into you and what you're doing and your task and your calling and your ministry and your whatever. You're so into that that there could be somebody right down, right next to you who's emotionally dying and you wouldn't even notice them. Because you're just so into you. I mean, and here's the deal. You can be theologically correct and unkind. And, and if that's the case, your theological correctness, according to Paul, is nothing. <laughs> This is the way. It does not envy, Paul says. Love doesn't envy. Shakespeare uh, called envy the green sickness, the enemy of honor, the sorrow of fools. And envy, as much as anything else, will reveal really quickly where your real motives are. See, the Bible says things like this, that you ought to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And sometimes, you know, we're better at weeping with those who weep, when those who feel pain. And, and, and as a church, we like to come around people who's lost loved ones. And we're really, I feel like we're good at that. We're loving people. And can we do anything for you? And well, how can we serve you? And here's some food. And we put our arms around them. And, 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 and mourning with those who mourn sometimes is easier than rejoicing with those who rejoice. Now, you can do it, especially if they found a success in an area that doesn't concern you. Right? But have you ever run into somebody who does what you do better than you? It really blesses you, doesn't it? Every once in a while, somebody will come up to me after church and they'll say something like, my favorite preacher in the whole world is, and it's somebody on YouTube that they never met. Or they're on, even worse, TBN. Or they preach on the southeast part of town. <laughs> and then they'll say something like that. Like, like here's what they used to say. Would you like to hear a CD of them? <laughs> now it's like, I'll send you a link to their 14 hours of teaching on whatever. Would you like to listen to it? And I'm thinking, no, not really. No, no, thank you. But look, whenever that happens, whenever that happens, and that, that, that kind of feeling inside of me, I've just been given a gift. That's a gift. Actually, I don't need any more gifts, okay, so nobody do that after service. But, but what the, that's a gift because it's a prompt. It's a check in my spirit. Wait a minute. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it coming out of love or not? Because if it's not, it's nothing. Nothing. Love does not envy. I, at this point, I want a different way. But this is the way. Love is not self-seeking. This is the essence of all these attributes right here. It's right in the middle. The only person who's capable of loving is the person who's been set free from themselves. I mean, talking about truly loving. 
if you're a self-seeker, if you're absorbed in yourself, I, I guarantee you that all these things we're talking about, anger, envy, bragging, they're, you know, they, they're, they're going to emanate from you all the time, and you won't be able to stop it, and you'll come to church and hear a sermon about it and go, oh, I'm going to try really hard not to do those things. But, but if you don't deal with this self-centeredness, it doesn't going to matter. It's going to come out of you. One more, he just says, he says, love keeps no records of wrongs. Wow. That, that just means basically this. Love doesn't make a monument of people's mistakes. You know, we have monuments, and the monument is to remember something about the past. That's why it's there. And, and, and what he's saying is love doesn't build these monuments of people's mistakes. One translation of 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Love does not traffic in shame. In other words, love is not always reminding people of their past. Love releases. The Scottish theologian William Barclay put it this way. He said, one of the great arts of life is to learn what to forget. (laughs) Indeed. This is the way. This is the way. Now, I could go on. The problem with the message on 1 Corinthians 13 is that every phrase is pregnant with meaning and could be its own message. I would just implore you to read 1 Corinthians 13 this week. Maybe read it in different translations. Read it over and over again. Because this leads number three. We've had the importance of the way. We've had the description of the way. Now we have, and finally, very briefly, the destination of the way. Where does this lead us? Where does this way go? And the answer in a word, is Jesus. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way. And so you read 1 Corinthians 13, and if we're honest, not religious, if we're honest, we have to admit that we really don't love like this. I mean, we, I mean come on. Just be real for a second. I don't love like this all the time. So you know what 1 Corinthians does for me? It does the same thing that the law does. It does the same thing that when I read the Sermon on the Mount, what that does, and that just is this. It leads me to Christ. It shows us that we all need a Savior. If you can read 1 Corinthians 13 and say, yep, I got that. I'm checking it off the box. Then uh, we need to talk. Because what 1 Corinthians 13 does is say this. You need a Savior. We all need to be saved from ourselves. And if that's true for you, if you're, if you're saying, man, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm feeling kind of heavy because I, I don't do this, I don't have any condemnation for you. Because I'm right there with you. I, I'm in the congregation with you today, sitting under, we are sitting under God's word today. And so I don't have any condemnation for you, but I do have one shocking truth. Here it is. Here's the kicker, and here's where this message turns on a dime, because this will blow you away. Hear this. Everything we just said about the way of love is the kind of love God has for you. I want you to let that in. Because some of you dismiss that too quickly. Yeah, yeah, Tim, we know, right, right. Jesus loves me, this I know. It's it's not enough just to know in your head. You need to let it in that this is the way that God loves you. I mean, this is what keeps this chapter from just being a hammer to crush you. Let it in. That God's love for you is patient. He's long to anchor. And God's love for you is, is kind. 
and, and God's love for you is such that you don't have to be good enough. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. And he doesn't pull it away from you the first time you don't measure up to some expectation. And hallelujah, he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. The psalmist said, Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Answer, nobody. But here's the good news. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs for those of us who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. So this is the way of love. Here's the point of 1 Corinthians 13. We are to receive this breathtaking love of God for us and not just read about it intellectually, but to let it into our hearts. And, and, and some of you, again, what you need to do this week is you need to meditate on 1 Corinthians 13 and go line by line and hear each phrase as God describing his love for you. My, my life has been changed in the last year because for the first time, even though I knew all of this intellectually, I've actually been letting this in on a, in a new way to really actually believe this on a level that, that this is the way God loves me. And I promise you, if you do that, if you will let the love of God, which is displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ, if you'll take that into your inmost being, it can't help but change you. So this is the way of love, to receive God's breathtaking love for us and then let us define, let that love define who we are and then allow that divine agape love to flow from us to the people around us. This is the way. This is how we're going to make it through this year. Receive this kind of love. Let it define us and then let it overflow from us to the world around us. This is the way.